This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Don't we all just have fantasies about the perfect holiday card, the perfect holiday meal, the perfect Thanksgiving turkey, the perfect Halloween costume? We're going to talk about perfectionism. And I know that many people ask me about perfectionism in their kids, the child who only wants to get 100% on their test, the child who rips up their coloring when it's not perfect. Let's talk about our perfectionism as parents. How does that tone get set in our families? And perhaps most importantly, what can we do to make sure that we catch and interrupt those patterns before they take hold? Perfectionism, it's a torture chamber. Let's get out of it. Hi everybody, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm a psychotherapist, an expert in anxiety, an author, a speaker, and I'm here with my sister-in-law and producer, Robin. Hi, Robin. Hi, Lynn. So ironically, we're going to talk about perfectionism today, and Robin and I have just spent about five minutes trying to make sure that our sound for the podcast is perfect. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) It's hard. Yeah, because this idea of perfectionism it's so rewarded and it's even expected. And there's so much judgment wrapped up in it, right? How other people are viewing you, how they're viewing your parenting. It really encompasses so much of what we have to deal with in our families and in our parenting and in ourselves. And it's certainly something that comes up a lot in my practice in you know, dealing with anxious families and, and that kind of stuff. So I think oftentimes I get asked, can you help me? My daughter suffers from perfectionism, or I think, you know, my daughter needs her homework to be so perfect, or my son won't do anything unless he thinks he can do it perfectly. But I think before we even venture into the kid world of perfectionism, I think it's really helpful to talk about how hard it is for us as parents, how hard it is for us as adults to cope with this in our world. When you talk about perfectionism, what just jumps to my mind is, like you said, we're so rewarded for trying to create perfection or create the image of perfection. And just we've talked about this a lot of how an image doesn't reveal the full truth. And there's a lot of challenging energy and a lot of control and anxiety needs that come out that affect a child when a mom wants her house perfect, a mom wants everyone to look perfect. I grew up in the South with a mom who never left the house without makeup on. She had Mm. perfection issues around her appearance. And I know a lot of women grow up with mothers who pass that restrictive sense of self and worth just in the simplicity of that. It pervades everything. I think there's like very few moms who can't, if they're honest with themselves, they recognize they're going to have these patterns in certain parts of their lives. It's really hard to let go of. And, you know, when we we step back from it, we recognize it. It's funny during the pandemic, all of us not being able to go and get our hair colored as much as we normally would and how uncomfortable that made us. Why are we so intrigued? You know, you see the cover of the People magazine 
that says stars without makeup or pictures of stars or famous Hollywood people caught in bathing suits when they don't look good. We're so craving this idea that we both want to be perfect, we want to look perfect, but at the same time, it's so comforting when you walk into somebody's house and it's messy, you run into somebody and they don't have, you know, their roots are showing, it's sort of like, oh, thank God you too. So we really have this internal struggle, don't we? We want to be connected in our imperfection and perfection really puts up kind of a barrier, doesn't it? Because if you are parenting in a perfect way, or you think you're parenting in a perfect way, that your house has to look perfect, that your children have to look perfect, it's sort of like opening the closet door and everything falls out. You've got to be really careful that you keep the closet door closed, which means that you're really careful about what you let people know about you, what you let them know about your family, this whole idea of sort of showing all of what's going on. That's what connects us. Perfection really puts a distance between people. And I see that a lot. If you're talking about the home and then when someone allows you to come home when the house isn't perfect and you walk in and you recognize, oh, I'm a closer friend. They're letting me see their normal daily life. It's a compliment in a way. And yet we torture ourselves in order to create good impressions that are sometimes false impressions of projecting an image for someone to get to know instead of ourselves. If you are with a close friend or say you're having people over for dinner, I remember seeing an article recently about sort of the the casual have friends over for dinner, which, you know, this was, remember when we used to be able to have friends over for dinner, but it was this idea that planning a dinner party and making sure that your house is perfect and that your menu is perfect, I'm not going to do that. I don't have the time to do that, nor the desire to do that. My schedule is pretty busy. The times when I've had people over for dinner because I'm not so great at that anyway, it's like a full day of me figuring out how to pull this thing off. Whereas this idea that you can just gather with people and everybody brings something to eat and share, I think that's when we think of our social interactions, when we think of our relationships, I think that this needing everything to be a certain way I just can't do the perfect dinner. I can't do the perfect birthday party. I'm just not going to do it. And being able to be more open and real and vulnerable, I think allows us to connect to people. I remember reading a book before I got married and it was talking about, I think it was called The Conscious Bride. It's still in print. But the one thing that the, the book said that stuck with me that proved to be absolutely true is that what you didn't plan and what you didn't expect at your wedding will be one of your most cherished memories and moments. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's why if we all had more of a, a comfort with embracing the imperfection and allowing, they call them undue dinner parties. And so I, I throw a lot mm. of undinner parties. So it's just like, you don't even cook. You're like, we're going to order pizza and, you know, and I'm going to toss a salad that comes in a pre-made bag. But the point is, I care about connecting with you so much this Friday night with your family that come as you are, right? It's the ultimate, it's the ultimate compliment to be a part of someone's undinner party circuit. Well, and I, I also think that, that what, you know, when we're talking about perfection, I want to make a distinction between having to be perfect and also knowing where your strengths and your skills are. Because I think that, that there's a fine line between doing the things you do really well and sharing them with others and then stepping over into that perfection place. Because like I, if I take my mom, for example, like we can show up at her house, she can make a meal 
that is unbelievably delicious and that she didn't really have a menu planned a lot of the times, but she's just so good at creatively cooking. And I don't get this sense from her that she has to create things perfectly. She's just really, really good at it. When we think about perfectionism, it's the need to be perfect. It's that rigidity. It's the way other people will judge us. But you're allowed to share your skills. Like if you're really good at throwing a great birthday party and you don't venture into that perfectionistic place because that's where the anxiety is, that's where the that's where the struggle is. But you just say, I'm really good at doing this and I love to I love to bake cakes or I love to decorate for Christmas or whatever, then go ahead and do it. It's not like you can't show off your skills in an amazing way. Perfectionism is not about you being successful and skilled and enjoying your talents. Perfectionism steps in to say, never good enough. I think that's the important thing about perfectionism, is that its standard is higher than you can possibly achieve, and it's always waiting to be critical. It's always waiting to to say, well, I mean, okay, but you could have done that. That's the perfectionism part. Is there also an element of control where it has to be just so? That's also perfectionism, isn't it? Or would you call that something else? No, perfectionism, it's sort of, it, you know, it, it, when, when it ventures into that world of obsessive compulsive disorder, of OCD, there's symmetry going on, there's cleanliness, there's organization, there's things need to be perfect in appearance. So anything from the throw that you throw over the couch has to be symmetrically laid over the back of the couch, that there can never be a speck of anything in the kitchen sink. It always has to be shiny, that no matter how much you clean, you have to clean more. That's when it gets to that place where it becomes really a problem. And think about that if you live in a house like that. If you live in a house where the standard is everything has to be perfect, then you've got no room to do much of anything at all. It becomes really hard to be a child in that house. It becomes hard to be a spouse in that house. And for the person who's who's sort of held hostage by this, this is why it's so helpful to externalize it, right? So you know how I talk about anxiety being the cult leader. If we externalize that that perfection part of you, you yourself are being held hostage by that. For somebody who has an eating disorder, for somebody who has to keep their house immaculate at all times, for somebody who can't start a project because they they can't do it unless they know it's going to be perfect, they're being held hostage as well. Lumen is the world's first handheld metabolic coach. It's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath, and on the app, it lets you know if you are burning fat or carbs, and it gives you a tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, workouts, sleep, and even stress management. So how Lumen works is that you breathe into the Lumen device first thing in the morning, and you'll know what's going on with your metabolism, whether you're burning mostly fat or carbs. And then Lumen gives you a personalized nutrition plan for that day based on your measurements. You can also breathe into it before and after workouts and meals, so you know exactly what's going on in your body in real time. And Lumen will give you tips to keep you on top of your health game. I love the extra data that I'm getting about my health right now. Because for many women of my age, as we are going through a long chapter of hormone changes, Lumen's helping me use my body's data to make the best choices. So your metabolism is your body's engine. 
It's how your body turns the food you eat into the fuel that keeps you going. And because your metabolism is at the center of everything your body does, optimal metabolic health translates to a bunch of benefits, including easier weight management, improved energy levels, and better sleep, which is key. So Lumen gives you recommendations to improve your metabolic health. So what is metabolic flexibility and why should you care? Well, the key to metabolic health is something called metabolic flexibility. We love flexibility at Fluster Clucks, and that's where Lumen really shines. It refers to your body's ability to efficiently switch between using different fuel sources like carbs and fats, and there are preferred times to use each, and how well you can switch places you on the metabolic flexibility spectrum. So after getting to know you through your breath, Lumen gives you a metabolic flex score that you can track and improve upon. So if you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fluster to get $100 off Lumen. That's L-U-M-E-N-D-O-T-M-E. And use Fluster at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance, so literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. How many parents come to see you, but their perfectionism prevents them from admitting that they have issues around anxiety or depression in their family, right? Like they're there, they know they need help, and yet there's still that struggle that they don't want to admit it. Do you see that? Yes, for sure. But because I require parents to come, particularly at the beginning, and as I've said, with, with older kids and teenagery kids, they often can come a little bit by themselves. So I require both parents to come, if at all possible, even if they're no longer married. And so there's a lot of blaming that goes on, as you can imagine, particularly if the parents are no longer married. But there might be one parent who sees it much more clearly than the other. And that's, you know, we talked about the marital snort, but that's, that's where 
there can be some conflict of sort of, I'm not going to, I, I don't want to show you the imperfection here. But I would probably say, honestly, more often than not, by the time people get to see me, that there is sort of a sense of relief is that they can, they can in my office, kind of let it all hang out. And I really try and support um, an environment in which, you know, we can talk about what's really going on. And many times for families that are trapped in this perfectionism and they've been really trying to hide things or, you know, they're not letting their neighbors know, they're not even letting their own family members know, they're not talking to the school about what's going on. Sometimes it comes out in a torrent once they get in here because it is so exhausting to keep up this front. That happens more often, actually. People are starting to think about staging their Christmas card. And Mm -hmm. I do send out a Christmas card. Lynn probably has never sent out a Christmas card. Oh, that is card. not true. When my son was first born, we sent out a few Christmas cards when he was a little tiny baby. After I had my second son, then we were done with it. But the Christmas card thing is there is such a game around it. One of my very best friends, they have three children that are now grown. They're all college age or above. And they always capture a moment in which one of them is just giving the dirtiest look to another one of the siblings. And it's not a posed picture. So it might be like in the back of a cab or they're sitting at a dinner table. And it's just the best. Every year I look forward to it. There's just like pure sort of like anger and disgust at their sibling. They've got it down to a science. I think that's so healthy. It is healthy. I think we have to be aware of the fact that our culture rewards excellence. It rewards perfection. We talk a good game, and I find this a lot with families, and I find it a lot in schools, is that we talk a good game of whatever makes you happy. Here's the phrase that is so tricky. As long as you know you've done your best, right? So that sounds pretty good, and it seems like we're giving them all this room. That is a really provocative thing to say, particularly if you are a family of perfectionists, if you are a family of people who achieve at high levels, to say to your child, as long as you know you've done your best, absolutely throws them into a tailspin. If you say that to a kid who doesn't really care, they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. You say that to a child who tends to be perfectionistic, who has doubts about whether or not they're doing a good enough job, It is really setting them up for an enormous amount of struggle. And one of the things that people don't know about perfectionism is that perfectionism and procrastination hang out together all the time. You're not going to take something on if your perfectionistic part is sitting there guiding what's going to happen next. You're not going to start. It's going to be so exhausting. If you have to clean your closet and it has to be perfect, if you have to write a paper and it has to be perfect, if you have to read a book and it has to be perfect, you have to read every word perfectly, you're just not going to do it. So a lot of times people don't recognize that. I, I talk to families where they say, she just won't get started or she's such a procrastinator or we can never get her to do anything. And then I dig a little bit more and it's a highly perfectionistic family. And that child is just afraid to venture in because the task just seems impossible and the goal just seems unachievable. If you have a child who starts showing that I'm just not quite done, let me just go back and Mm -hmm. tweak this drawing or the story needs another edit. What's the right language to use around them when you see habits of wanting to, to make things just so? What do you say? 
the earlier you see that and the earlier you address that, the better. So it may, it often comes up with even when they're little and they're coloring and, or they're trying to draw a bird and they'll rip it up and throw it out, or it's not good enough. And like you say, you see them starting over, say they're doing their math and it's four plus four. Well, they get the number eight, but they keep erasing it and making the eight again. So it's not really the answer. It's that the circles have to be symmetrical. That's a pretty good warning sign for you that you want to address this. And the language you want to use is you want to say, it looks like there's a part of you that doesn't feel comfortable unless this is perfect. And it's really important for us to know the difference between times when it really is okay for it to be good enough and times when we have to pay more attention to it. You start giving examples. So you say, for example, I like you to make your bed in the morning, but there are a lot of different ways to make the bed. And some days it's going to be made a little bit like this way. And some days it's going to be made a little bit that way. But nobody really is going to be judging you on how perfectly you make your bed. And remember, mom and dad, if you are showing them and telling them that they have to make their bed perfectly, you got to do a little self-examination there because that's modeling this perfectionistic behavior. But then you might say, well, when is a time when we really do want to pay extra attention to something? You know, so, you know, the example I often give, which not going to be applicable to little kids, but if you're trying to address a fancy wedding invitation, say that's even your job, you're a calligrapher that does wedding invitations, you can't make a mistake and then cross it out with your pen and start over. There's a lot of gradations, right? So when something really can be messy, we've talked about that, right? Like if you're baking and you get flour on the floor, when you're doing your math homework, you're, the circles of your eight don't have to be symmetrical. When you're, you show your kids, look, I'm making a to-do list today, so I'm just writing things down and my handwriting doesn't have to be perfect. Or when I'm going to the grocery store, you know, my hair doesn't have to be perfect. My makeup doesn't have to be perfect. And then there are times when it's important to pay attention to the details. And even having a conversation with your kids about what are some jobs in which, in parts of the job in which the details are really important, and what are some situations in which the specifics or the details are less important, begin to show them that there is a range and that even in jobs where we think of people needing to be perfect, that there is flexibility. Because there are so many ways where you can get trapped in thinking that things have to be one certain way. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to miss things. It's okay to send an email with a typo in it. Everybody understands that happens. One time we made, this is memorable. You know, you said uh, you're having a, a wedding and what goes wrong is memorable. Robin, we made a chocolate cake. My husband actually made the chocolate cake and we were out of regular milk. So he just used almond milk. It's now what's yeah. referred to as the fart cake because for some reason when he when he baked the cake the way that the almond milk cooked it had like this really sulfury smell so we all sat down to have cake and everybody was being very polite and not wondering who was farting at the table and then we realized the cake smelled <laughs> like farts we will always remember that it was certainly not the perfect cake but you know, it's a fart cake. So we've got that story too. When my sister-in-law on the other side of the family got married, two of the shoes arrived on wedding day that were dyed to match the bridesmaid's dress. And it was two left shoes for one of the bridesmaids. She had two oh, left gosh. shoes. Yeah. So I remember <laughs> that too. And we had to figure it out. And so being able to collect those stories being able to show your kids, and I am saying show with particular emphasis, show your kids 
that it's okay to back off sometimes. There are times when you need to do things in a more specific way, but that perfection is a myth. It's a trap and it's a torture chamber if you get locked up in it. Let me give you two examples of how in in this holiday realm, perfectionism is in the way of connection. I was talking to a family, but one of the things as we were talking about perfectionism, and I I was asking them, can you think of a time where perfectionism has showed up in your family and the goal was to make something really wonderful and it turned into something really awful? And they were telling me a story about decorating the Christmas tree. The mom had a very specific way that she wanted to decorate the Christmas tree. Everything had to be symmetrical, and the children were to sit and watch the mom decorate the Christmas tree. And these kids were telling me, we know that there are other families, and they they would see, you know, like Norman Rockwell pictures where kids were putting up ornaments on the tree, or they would make an ornament at school, but it wasn't allowed to be put on the tree because mom had a very perfectionistic view of how the tree was supposed to be decorated. It wasn't just about the tree, but this is the example that they, they remembered. And it really became tense and it was not fun at all for them. The other story that I have is my father-in-law was very rigid about a lot of things, particularly around his cooking, which was his skill and everybody loved his cooking. But at Thanksgiving, he had a particular menu that was to be served and it was based on his mother's menu. And I totally appreciated the tradition and the ritual of that. But when we got married and I joined them for Thanksgiving, I brought something to serve because that was what I thought was the right thing to do. And he refused to serve what I brought to share at the Thanksgiving table, which I thought, which, you know, red flag, warning, warning, warning. But I, 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 I thought to myself, okay, so this is a way in which his rigidity will get in the way of us being able to connect. But those are just ways when you think about wanting to celebrate something, but remember that perfectionism is disconnecting. Just as we say, when you're worrying, it's really hard to be present for your children. When you are in that mode of perfectionism, it is also really hard to be present for the other people that are in your life. So many people are concerned about perfectionism in their children. They're seeing them, you know, being worried about getting straight A's or seeing them being worried and ripping up their picture when, the, when it's not quite right or not playing soccer because they can't be the best. Let's talk about how perfectionism in a family and how perfectionism in parenting really can set the tone in your family and what you can do to get ahead of that. Mom, can I have more time? This is what you'll hear when you use a circle to manage your kid's screen time. What do you think of the circle? I hate it. Why do you hate it? Well, I don't actually hate it, but I feel like it's good that I'm not spending as much time on the internet. It lets you set daily limits for different apps and social media. It also controls your kids' Wi-Fi schedules, and you can adjust age-appropriate filters for searches from little kids to teens. Our affiliate link will get you $20 off a circle. I love it. But it's still annoying in the moment. I'm sure it is.
If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touch screen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. Picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn And now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it. It's fantastic. And that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's Masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good. And Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better with Matthew Walker, with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. 
So every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. Okay, Lynn, I have a listener question for you that I think is very topical. Okay, I'm ready. My 10-year-old has a medical phobia and a specific fear of shots. She shows physical signs of panic even when talking about going to the doctor. Her previously brave seven-year-old sister is now expressing similar fears about vaccines after a negative experience with her last flu shot. She's repeatedly asking about when she will need to get her COVID vaccine and crying at the thought of it. I think my older daughter needs more intensive help and I'm working on that, but I would like advice on talking to my younger daughter. They're both anxious kids overall and the older one has a high need for control. For some reason, it seems challenging for me to apply your approach to an experience that is more objectively negative. This is a really great question. And let me just sort of take it from the beginning to the end, because the first thing that the mom says is that she's having a hard time applying my approach to something that's objectively negative. Well, most of the things that people worry about or that are afraid of are objectively negative, right? So people worry about dying and throwing up and getting a root canal and getting bit by a dog and embarrassing themselves and having diarrhea during the middle of their talk. So most of the time when I'm talking to kids about things that they're worried about, it's objectively negative. And I think maybe one of the things, mom, that you're trying to do is you're trying to do what's called content-based reassurance. So you're trying to say, well, it's not that bad, or you shouldn't worry about that, or it's okay if that happens. So get out of that. The content really doesn't matter. That's a really important thing for everybody to remember. It's a hard concept to grab a hold of, but it's so important. What we really want to talk about when we're dealing with this is that because you can give all the reassurance you want, right? And probably what you're finding is that it doesn't matter because shots do kind of hurt and they are kind of gross. What you really want to do is you want to talk about how worry creates this story and how your daughter is using her wonderful imagination because worriers have really good imaginations to create a scenario to do a little psychoeducation about the fact that as she thinks about and worries about and and imagines this vaccine, this shot that she's going to have, she's creating this little movie that then goes and fires off her poor little amygdala. Remember, the imagination is the smoke maker and the amygdala is the smoke detector. And that's why your older daughter is having those panicky feelings because she's firing off her fight or flight system as she's imagining this. You want to really talk about how worry works, the connection between the body and the mind, how the imagination gets it going. And now we want to talk about how do we disconnect a little bit? Because when somebody is worrying about a physical symptom or worrying about getting a shot, they're very, very connected to their imagination and to the story. First thing is I would talk about the worry. And then the second thing I would do is I would teach your child how to disconnect a little bit in kind of a fun and playful way. And this is where my my uh, hypnotic techniques come in handy. Although, you know, again, there's nothing fancy about doing hypnosis. It's really just using your imagination in a lot of ways. 
And what I've done with many kids who have dealt with this, including other medical procedures, so kids that are going through chemo, kids that are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes that have to have insulin shots, kids that have to have a lot of dental work for whatever reason, is how do we teach a child to go into a situation and to allow their imagination to take them somewhere else? Because what her imagination is doing is it's over-connecting her to her arm or to the idea of a needle and to a vaccine. And we want to disconnect it. So so I might say, okay, so when you go in to get your shot, and let's practice this ahead of time, you're going to go in, we'll take a few deep breaths, we're just going to relax, and we're going to go, we're going to leave your arm here for the few seconds it's going to take, and you get to go to a really cool place. So maybe it's Disney World, maybe it's Hawaii, maybe it's in the swimming pool, maybe it's on the chairlift at the ski slope, maybe it's in your favorite restaurant, maybe it's eating an ice cream cone. Allow her to disconnect, to use that imagination to take her farther away rather than closer. And that can be a really great technique to use downplay this. Don't over-talk it. Don't over-prepare. Don't overthink. Don't over-reassure. Make it very matter-of-fact and talk to her about the power of her imagination as if it's a tool that she uses all the time, which it is, by the way. And so she can just employ it to her benefit. Explain this to her and make it a little bit playful. Make it a little bit interesting. Don't avoid talking about it. So one of the things that happens when kids are afraid of getting a shot or going to the doctor is that nobody will talk about it. And your 10-year-old is actually showing your 7-year-old how to do this. These kinds of fears, the particular of what somebody is, is afraid of, it's very contagious from parent to child, and it's very contagious from uh, sibling to sibling. Be matter-of-fact about it. Talk about it just as you need to in terms of your arrangements of it. I wouldn't get into a lot of conversation about it, but teach her this skill. It can be really, really helpful. Would you advise the mom to speak to her older child to not talk about it in front of her younger child? Yeah, I would say to the 10-year-old, look, so you're dealing with this fear, but we're having a lot of conversations about this. And really, we're, we're just engaging worry. We're just getting everybody going. And it's contagious. So we're going to be matter-of-fact about this. I'm not going to have conversation after conversation about this with worry. We're just going to treat it matter-of-factly, just as if you were going to a dentist appointment, just as if you were going to get new sneakers. And we're not going to get sucked into the content. Because the, the more you talk about this in this anxious way, the more you try and get rid of this anxiety, the stronger it's going to get. It becomes sort of this this topic that we don't want to discuss. And then, of course, you're going to discuss it because you don't want to discuss it. Stop focusing on it so much. What we focus on, we amplify and teach them this skill of disconnection. Really, really helpful. So our school year, however strangely it started, and we've got the holidays coming up, which are going to be challenging to deal with, of course. Here's what I'd like you to do, parents. I'd like you to just think about where it is in your life that maybe that perfectionism shows up and think about it in terms of how you model that for your children, but also just think about how you're hard on yourself. Think about how it is that you set some standards for yourself. Is there any area in your life where maybe you can just let that go a little bit. Any place where you can maybe say, you know what, I'm I'm allowed to give myself a little bit of room. I talk about the big sweet spot of parenting. It's not about doing things in a rigid, exact way. And see if there's some place where maybe, maybe you can let your kids load the dishwasher 
I've talked about before how many fights people have about loading the dishwasher and unloading the dishwasher. Yeah, you know, you're right. That's actually this contentious thing. And we had a listener write to us after the co-parenting episode saying, I will never think about loading the dishwasher in the same way. I didn't know that that was such a thing. Yeah, it really is a thing, the whole dishwasher thing. Think about where it is that maybe maybe you're going to just loosen up a little bit and do it for the benefit of your kids. You know, if they set the table and they put the forks on the wrong side, you don't have to walk over and put it on the other side. Just see if you can let them have more room and let you have more room internally as well. Perfectionism is a trap. It's a torture chamber. It makes you internally focused often, or when it makes you externally focused, it gets in the way of you connecting. As the sergeant says in the classic movie Stripes, lighten up, Francis. It's okay. Just give yourself a little bit of room. It's going to be okay. Between today and last week, when we were talking about family silliness, Mm -hmm. you know, and the idea of like just having ice cream sundaes for dinner, it's really on a meta level, embracing the messy and looking Mm -hmm. at messy in a different way. Yeah. And maybe we had been programmed to really reject messiness. I guess embracing messiness is all about embracing flexibility as well. If we look at the meta of messiness, maybe that should be the title of my next book, is that we're really just talking about all of the messiness that comes in relationships and figuring things out and learning and growing. It's just a bumpy ride. And being able to allow ourselves to be okay with that you know, it really, it really does help, especially during a time which we so, so desperately need to stay connected to one another. And the more we try and get rid of something, the more that we get on this rigid path of elimination and not allowing things to happen and keeping things in and hiding things and stuffing the closet full of all of our crap so that nobody sees what's going on. And the more our mental health suffers. This I know. We encourage you to join our Facebook group so that you can submit a question for a future episode with Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 